This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Good morning. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Open for Business. Yesterday, India-based unicorn Razorpay deepened its presence here in the Malaysian market by becoming the first new member of Paynet since 2019 through its Malaysian-based unit, Curlec by Razorpay, which it acquired back in early 2022. This Paynet membership now allows Curlec to adopt the Do It Now product suite, allowing their customers to make and receive real-time payments from bank accounts and e-wallets. This mark collects continued evolution from recurring payments provider to full-stack payment gateway. I spoke with Collect's founder a few months back. If you'd like to listen to that, go over to the BFM website, bfm.my or the BFM app and just look up Curlec, C-U-R-L-E-C, not C-O-L-L-E-C-T. Um, Razorpay, backed by Tiger Global, Secure Capital India, now known as Peak15, Singapore's GIC and Y Combinator, among other notable investors on the cap table, is valued at around $7.5 billion based on its last funding round in December 2021, where it raised $375 million in a Series F round. In total, to date, they've raised around $740 million and have acquired between 70 to eight companies as part of its growth strategy. Today, to explore Razorpay's origins, plans ahead, and path to IPO, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rahul Kotari, Chief Business Officer of Razorpay. Rahul, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to Malaysia. Hey, thank you, Roshan. Thanks, Roshan, for inviting me to the show. And hi to everyone listening to the show. This is my First time on air in Malaysia. Really excited. And uh, thank you for the most accurate pronunciation uh, pronunciation of my name. Uh, <laughs> it's not often that you have someone uh, uh, pronounce it that correctly. Um, speaking of pronunciation of names, I do want to start off with a little clarification. right? Because when people in Malaysia hear raise a pay, the oftentimes uh, we think about raise a pay merchant services as opposed to your company, which is yeah. based over in India. Uh, maybe we can start off by giving us a sense for uh, Razorpay's original mission when it started off in 2014 and this nine-year journey the company has been on, what was the original problem and how has that changed over time? Yeah, so Razorpay started 2014 and uh, at the time when our founders were trying to start actually some other company and uh, they were trying to integrate a payment gateway and they realized how difficult was it to get a payment gateway for any new startup. Uh, the Most of the companies which are serving this market were catering to large enterprise merchants, uh, the, what it required was a big engineering team to really integrate Payment Gateway. Uh, the APIs were not very clean. It required almost a month for Payment Gateways to go live. Uh, looking at this challenge, the founders were like, okay, can we solve this problem? And that's how the entire idea of Razorpay started. Mm-hmm. Uh, over a period of time, we have scaled to almost 10 million merchants. Uh, what we have done in India is really democratize payments for small and medium businesses. Uh, today, any startup not having even, say, a tech or a software team would be able to go live simply by using no-code products, uh, would be able to have same kind of experience for their customers what, say, a large enterprise online marketplace would be able to have. So over the last nine years, we have grown significantly our payment gateway business. Uh, we have also launched two new businesses. One is in neobanking and other is capital business. Neobanking is about different SaaS products which help you move money and capital is about lending. And also we have grown to new geographies like Malaysia. This is a very interesting progression because starting with the payment rails, the payment gateways, and now 
you've moved on to essentially supporting financial services. So one, the capital side, which is lending products, I presume. Yeah. And then you've got the neobanking, software as a service, banking as a service, probably somewhere in that stack as well. So you've gone just from facilitating payments to actually entering the financial services scene. Um, maybe give us a sense of where the um, where RazorPay, what space it occupies in the payment landscape. Uh, and how that has evolved as well. Yeah, sure, Roshan. So uh, within Payment Gateway, like it's a complex business where we have like say, the different kind of technologies like issuing switch, acquiring switch, payment gateways, payment aggregators, authentication, fraud management, etc. Where we sit in is how to take merchants really live very quickly on accepting payments from their consumers, how to manage the money movement right from say the issuing bank, sorry, from the acquiring bank to the issuing bank, do settlements, help manage chargebacks and all those things. So so it's about like say end-to-end solution for a merchant for accepting payments online. And uh, also I would like to cover like how how from payments, how we actually thought about uh, moving to new banking and capital business. Yeah, by all means, please, because that product evolution is also very interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, while we were like providing all these payment gateway services to our merchants, uh, and they really loved our product because it made their entire life very, very seamless. Like uh, anybody who wanted to, who was into offline business or who was just starting a business wants to go online. It was so easy. Like in a day, they can start payment, start accepting payments online. Now, once we had say a few critical number of merchants over a period of time, uh, in three to four years, uh, we got more and more feedback from our merchants that payments is just one part of the problem of money movement that they are that, that has been solved there are challenges around how to kind of really manage the entire money uh, like for example if they want to get an escrow account opened it is not very easy to kind of open the escrow account or for for they want to do the payouts to their vendors uh, those also a pretty cumbersome task where they were managing through excels reconciliation and all of those things were very difficult At the same time also for small businesses getting say instant loans, real-time loans, different form factors, none of those products existed. So basis all these feedback from the merchants, our vision evolved from just being a payment gateway to how to make end-to-end money movement for our businesses seamless. Where we fundamentally believe is that the founders or, or, or the key stakeholders in the company should be focusing on the core value proposition of their business, how to scale their business, how to create differentiation. Money movement should be becoming as simple as that as it can be. It should not require a lot of time from the founder or from a lot of teams to kind of do that. So with that vision, we kind of started building different products. And over a period of time, we have now three businesses with almost around 20, 20 plus different products across these these uh, businesses. And Rahul, by the sounds of it, the, the target market here is the smaller businesses, not the large enterprises that may already have the solutions they need. So we're talking about uh, micro SMEs, SMEs and startups. Is that a correct depiction of the target market? No, our target market actually is enterprise and SMEs both. Uh, Where we started with and what problem we have been solving is primarily related to the SMEs and small business and medium businesses. But what we also realized is once we solve the problem for them, see fundamentally what you're doing, you're making things very easy for businesses to really move money. And when enterprise sees, they also see a lot of value proposition. In fact, today if we see almost say half of our revenue comes from enterprise and half of comes from the small businesses. So enterprise... Enterprises already have uh, solution stacks for them, right? Uh, maybe a bit more legacy in nature. Uh, so where, what is the value proposition that they see in the product suite that RazorPay has built? Sure. So so let me kind of very quickly 
uh, talk about value proposition for SMEs and value proposition yeah, for enterprises. Yeah, because they would be different. Yeah. So for SMEs, the value proposition is taking them live instantly, like whenever they want to go live. Entire self-serve in terms of onboarding, uh, your KYC checks being done online and them able to accept the payments immediately. The second biggest is how can they use multiple no-code products without having the expertise or software expertise to integrate different complexities or abstracting the complexities of those software products. Uh, these are, and also having things like checkout, etc., which are really neat and clean UI, which gives good experience to end consumers. So this is the primary reposition we kind of provide for SMEs. For enterprise, the needs are a little different where we need to create, say, how are you able to really manage huge volumes? How, how stable is your infrastructure? Whether we are able to enable, say, different kind of loyalty or different kind of, say, promotions on, on their payments value chain. Uh, how you're able to kind of help them reconcile better or kind of customize a bit to integrate with their financial system. So so the value proposition is far different in enterprise. It's more about how we are more scalable, how we are more kind of robust, how we can create some complex services or complex products which can integrate with their systems and the needs. And SMEs, how do we think to make things faster and simpler? Rahul, as I mentioned earlier, um through Curl, like Razorpay has now joined the PayNet ecosystem here in Malaysia. Uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in cross-border payments systems or integrations. So if you look at Malaysia, uh, we have some uh, cross-border QR payments between Malaysia and Thailand and other neighboring countries. Uh, but we also have it with uh, China through the TNG e-wallet and yeah. its partnership with Alipay. Talk to us about how the how you see the PayNet integration or joining PayNet through Curl, uh, being part of your product development and how that will fit in your development here in uh, Malaysia or even Southeast Asia and any potential integrations with India? Sure. So uh, first, let me talk a little bit about our Southeast Asia strategy and then probably the sure. cross-border payments within Southeast Asia. So uh, in, uh, our ambition is very clear. We want to be one of the largest fintechs in Southeast Asia over next few years. Uh, and we have started our journey by first being into Malaysia. And uh, Malaysia was a kind of a natural choice for us, given the overall the way the economy of Malaysia is, overall the evolution of the payments ecosystem in Malaysia. There are a lot of startups which are kind of ready to accept the new technologies. Uh, there are a lot of focus by uh, the regulators and the government on making a digital economy. So, so that became a natural choice. And then we kind of, of course, found the right cultural fit, the very strong team in Curlic to really make this kind of as a good start within Southeast Asia. Now... Now that we have a decent presence in Malaysia, we have kind of partnership paynet, we have been growing faster. Uh, at least two or three more geographic or countries within Southeast Asia is what we'll be looking at at scale in the next couple of years. Now, once we have these presence in these two or three countries, making cross-border payments across these countries whether using the paynet network or some other rails becomes a natural choice. Uh, but definitely cross-border, if, if I think about one of our, again, motos is simplifying payments. Mm -hmm. uh, we have done decently good job at simplifying payments for domestic uh, domestic kind of payments. Cross-border payments are actually relatively more difficult to solve because number of parties, number of regulations, number of kind of stakeholders involved. And we started doing it a lot for cross-border payments between India and other geographies. Same learnings we'll be using how within Southeast Asia, across countries, we can make those simpler. Can we expect uh, cross-border payments between India and Malaysia anytime in the next few years? 
Sure, definitely, definitely. It would be. It becomes a natural choice for our overall product roadmaps as well. Yeah, uh, as part of your journey as well, a bunch of companies have been acquired by Razorpay after, especially after the three hundred seventy-five million dollars was raised back in December twenty twenty-one. And we'll dive into that in just a few minutes, Rahul. Uh, we're going into a few messages right now, folks. I've been speaking with Rahul Kothari. He's the chief business officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. I'm Rajan Kanisan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here at BFM eighty-nine point nine. The Business Station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Be firmly motivated. BFM eighty nine point nine. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanisan and this morning I've been speaking with Rahul Kothari, Chief Business Officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. Um, Rahul, there's a lot to cover here and uh, Razorpay has been a bit active in the M&A scene, especially yeah. after the Series F funding round, which saw $375 million in funding raised. That was half, that's half the total capital raised by Razorpay over the last nine years. It looks like you've acquired around seven to eight companies. Last year, there were four acquisitions. We've got Poshvine, iZillient, EasyTap, and then obviously uh, Curlac. This year, you acquired BillMe as well. Talk to us about how Razorpay has integrated these acquisitions because that's the key challenge when you buy a company. You can buy it for growth, but can you integrate it into your existing infrastructure? No, that's a that's a very uh, very good question, Roshan. Uh, because you are right, buying the company still you can do it, integrating and keep growing them, and success is very very kind of critical. So there are three or four, I think, uh, major things which what we have learned and i think uh, we have been able to in general successfully integrate the companies that we have kind of acquired uh one is the companies that you acquire i think while you look at the overall synergies you look at the overall talent etc i think ensuring that there is a cultural match between razorpay and the companies that we are looking at acquiring is the most important thing uh you might get probably the best talent you might get the best synergy but if the people are not culturally aligned uh, it's extremely difficult to work integrate will take a lot of lot of time and time and bandwidth and it might not even work so that that's the first thing i think what has worked really well for us in terms of you know identifying the right companies which are cultural fit and then kind of uh, integrating those i think uh, second big learning has been post integration having a very strong project management around having a time bound milestones and outcomes of of integrations and then synergy is extremely important what happens is that in day to day kind of business uh, because one business is bigger than others and probably the acquisitions you have done smaller uh, top leadership might kind of not be able to focus so much on integrating the new acquisitions out there therefore having a sufficiently empowered program management office we which holds everyone accountable including leadership mm. to make sure it's it's time bound and happening right is i think the second most important thing so that's a separate unit rahul uh we have a team which kind of manages this mm-hmm. uh, which is our, our central strategy team which kind of does this integrations um and i think the the third important and which is which is very important aspect the people aspect uh i think i've seen it's a big shift right for for the companies that we acquire the founders there are people there they are part of a smaller company a lot of independence and then they suddenly become part of a larger company and they might feel that there is like things has become slower or earlier they never used to 
go and ask for a few things and now they have certain approvals in place earlier probably the rigor of reporting or rigor of kind of the discussions was lesser and now it's far higher so uh, so so there might be there's a big change for for yeah. everyone so this entire personal connect where you kind of keep talking to people you kind of keep explaining why you're doing this i think that investment uh, between leadership and the next level is extremely important so so i think when, primarily i would say these are three major things that we focus on when we kind of integrate with these companies to make them successful now the, i just want to go back to the culture integration part because yeah. that's so important especially with uh multinational a- a- acquisitions here and collect was your first international acquisition but even within uh india itself uh, rahul um india is a very big country and each state yeah. has its own cultural norms right so how do you what are the what have been some key strategies in that cultural integration whether domestically within india or even with your uh, foreign acquisitions as well what have been key strategies that have helped you win yeah i i think uh, rather than strategy i would say it's something more tactical okay uh, so razor pay has five major major i think cultural values and the most important of those is transparency uh, and uh, why we why we have made transparency as one of the most important values because we are primarily a platform company and in a platform company multiple products you kind of keep developing decision naturally has to be very very decentralized and in that environment transparency becomes very important because there has to be multiple informal channels for information to flow for things to be kind of critiqued questions to be asked to make sure the right decisions are made so from that perspective transparency is extremely uh, important uh, cultural value and what it kind of does it gives a lot of comfort to people across different levels between different functions to ask wise question to kind of push back if they do not agree on something and i think this is the primary reason why I, and i'm just saying this is a tactical thing rather than a strategy this is the primary reason why our most mnas in fact all our mnas has been really really very successful because uh, like even when i'm in kind of uh, in malaysia right now <laughs> one of the major things which like say yesterday i spent time with few people in the team and the thing i talked about was mostly you have to ask questions if something is coming from say razor pay india office you don't have to take it as it is you should be asking questions you should be holding me accountable so so i think i think that's what kind of really works from a pure cultural standpoint transparency uh, it 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 kind of empowers people to ask questions it makes people accountable and that's what has really worked for us um razorpay is a large tech company uh payments was where you started but you've also entered other financial services uh, uh areas as well um you could have built a lot of these these features as well i guess if you had the time so talk to us a little bit about the rationale between acquiring a company like billme like uh, like for example versus looking and saying it will build it internally what what is the thought process behind sure, that sure sure so uh, first of all i answer why so many acquisitions and then i will talk about why acquisitions and not kind of uh, build internally mm-hmm. see razorpay is a platform company and we have vision of making end to end money movement seamless uh which means the in a platform we need to have multiple products so that we are able to provide multiple offerings to the customers and that's where the offering say 1 plus 1 becomes more than 2 because they see synergies of two different products like for example we have pay in as a product and pay out as as a product now the synergy is pretty good from a reconciliation dashboard visibility perspective for the merchant so one is we need to kind of to get the full value of the platform multiple products has to be kind of be there one and therefore acquisitions kind of help us to make that journey faster so that that's the reason why we have been doing so many acquisitions now 
getting into tactic tacticals of why then you know some of these acquisition what were the specific reasons for it i think one is first uh it it accelerates the overall understanding of the market or the product itself right like say if we had thought of getting into malaysia as an entire organics organic team from razorpay india it would have taken quite a lot of time to scale probably you know we got this uh, uh, this membership of paynet would have taken two more years to because first you understand the market you build the right network you build the right relationship you kind of understand the legalities of this and get it done so one is definitely understanding of the product it brings understanding of product or the market i think second uh, reason why we have been doing mna is that we have close to 10 million merchants and any new product which fits into a good cross selling kind of strategy for for those merchants uh, the more we delay it it's more kind of money left on table right so if you can get faster those product and cross sell you are able to create far more value for your investors for your company and for yourself and i think third one of the reasons we have done a few acquisitions also for acqui hires right like typically they're small companies and and they have like good talent the really sometimes when you the amount of energy and effort you might have to spend to kind of <laughs> that kind of talent is extremely difficult and you might not even able to get those people because some of those founders are extremely driven extremely sharp and it's almost impossible to hire that kind of talent right so that's a third third reason to kind of acquire and see if we can get very good talent very quickly to the company well we got to go into the 10:30am news bulletin when we come back a little bit more about a uh, focus on why indian based companies are expanding to southeast asia as well as a look at the financial health and growth ahead for razor pay folks i've been speaking with rahul kotari he's the chief business officer of india based fintech unicorn razor pay i'm roshan kanesan you're listening to open for business keep it here at bfm 89.9 The Business Station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and this morning I've been speaking with Rahul Kothari. He's the Chief Business Officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. Not to be confused with Razorpay Merchant Services. Rahul, we talked a little bit about some of the rationale that goes into the acquisitions and Razorpay, as I mentioned earlier, hasn't been shy to acquire companies. And one of them, the first international acquisition was Curlec uh, here in 2022, which is now known as Curlec by Razorpay. But some of the other companies, companies you've acquired include Billme and EasyTap back in India as well. I think in overall about 7 to 8 acquisitions so far. Uh we are seeing uh actually this is a bit of a general push of uh, Indian companies into Southeast Asia. Earlier this year India-based Better Place acquired Troopers uh and Malaysian firms and startups are often told you've got to expand overseas because Malaysia is too small of a domestic market. India has a different situation. India has a very large domestic market. So, what's behind this push to expand into Malaysia into Southeast Asia? Yeah. So, so uh, that, that's a very, very uh, I think relevant uh, uh, observation. Uh, uh, many tech platforms in India are looking at expanding outside India. uh and of course in malaysia we have uh, oyo we have redbus which are two india based tech platforms along with razorpay like you know who have expanded to malaysia now uh, i think one of the one of the key things about platforms is they have they can scale very fast within a country 
uh, and therefore when you talk about say even razor pay we have close to around 60 to 70% market share in the key market that we operate in india and uh, we have been able to grow very fast because in general platform or technology is very very scalable uh, traditional businesses which takes probably you know many 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 years to kind of get that kind of market share platforms can kind of scale very quickly to that kind of a level now if you think about razor pay uh, once we had that scale in india there was a natural choice to see at some of the other geographies and uh, why it made sense say for southeast asia is for three or four reasons one is uh, payments is fundamentally payments across any geography while there are differences because of the local nuances but payments is all about say onboarding merchants it's doing transactions it's post transaction reconciliation it's about overall post transaction a different kind of refund issues and to solve so the platform is very similar uh, and therefore this platform can be say can be used in other geographies as well like the way we are seeing it razor pay almost 70% of what of the entire tech capability that we have in india can be actually deployed in malaysia and then 30% effort is more about how do we do some of the localization for example say for do it now for some of the fpx and some of the local wallets out here so and similar is for other tech platforms as well for example if you do look at say the bus ticketing platform like redbus or whether you look for the hotel reservation platforms the platforms are fundamentally very very easy to kind of lift from one country and kind of use another country so mm-hmm. so that's a, and that becomes a very big moat as well this has been tried at scale in india and therefore moving to southeast asia makes sense the second i think important reason why southeast asia and not probably some of the other geographies is because in some sense markets are similar uh they both are growing at similar pace with similar count of nuances in terms of competition in terms of even in certain cases i would say even the way the regulatory frameworks are cre- are are very similar and it's really astonishing how similar it is for like most of these countries because uh, probably regulators also exchange their notes and they kind of <laughs> figure it out what 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 works and doesn't work so second i think that's the reason why it makes easier to expand to southeast asia is there also i guess that similarity in the sense that india is in itself although people consider it to be one big market it also is a very fragmented market from state to state and in southeast asia there's a similar vein where uh, everyone says like, oh southeast asia is one market no it's actually many different markets <laughs> with very different rules and regulations yeah. between them it, it, has that helped i guess in the process for indian companies to look at southeast asia uh, definitely i, I think uh, one of the things about india market it, it's a very i would say in, in that sense very very tough market right <laughs> you have to kind of work on multiple aspects right right from the price pressure to how do you kind of work through the regulatory regime to three to how do you kind of get the different customers with different kind of languages in different kind of states how do you provide the similar how do you provide the different offerings to them on your platform or your support and therefore the the businesses are pretty much used to work with this different flavors across different states and different dynamics that definitely helps to kind of come to you know southeast asia and 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 that that becomes part of dna which helps to kind of scale in southeast asia as well because the key thing you've mentioned there is that between state to state as well different languages play a key role yeah. uh, over in india so you've already had to kind of always have this when we expand we've got to think about the different cultures the different languages how people are going to the user interface is that i guess yeah. some parallels there yeah yeah definitely we, though we have never practically thought about it that way uh, but but definitely like you know uh, this has conditioned us to be far, far more flexible to kind of really uh, think about those nuances and scale in scale in this geography 
Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you raised uh, $375 million in the Series F round back in 2021, valuing Razorpay at $7.5 billion. Uh, since then, the acquisition spree has been more aggressive. Uh, four companies uh, last year, one company this year. Is there still appetite for more m to continue Razorpay's growth? Sure. So, so we keep kind of looking at different opportunities for acquisitions which can help us scale faster. So definitely given the right choice uh, of the product, given the right geography, definitely that, that option is always on table. What, strategically speaking, uh, would you be looking to go more horizontal to expand or would it be to for market uh, geographical market acquisition or new products and services? Uh, really, uh, uh, both. Uh, we, we are not making a big distinction between the two because one is uh, we have to definitely make our platform more robust end-to-end with multiple services and that is far more evolved in India and therefore we keep looking at different companies or different potential to potential partnerships to kind of build new products and kind of scale our offerings which actually provide more synergies for our customers. Uh, parallel to this, there is a completely separate focus area in terms of how to scale in in Southeast Asia or other geographies and all the different options are possible like whether we kind of do something organic even we might not go payments first in one of the geographies like we have whole suite of products we might for example go payroll first in some other geography or we might go as a technology layer for payments in geography because it might make sense to kind of provide offering to companies which are across multiple countries in Southeast Asia and provide a technology layer which makes their payment seamless for all these geographies. So so we have been working on those strategies and those options are there, whether it's organic or whether it's through NMA. Now, uh, you started off in payments, you've gone into capital, which is also financing and lending, and you've also got neo banking, which is essentially a SaaS offering. Yeah, so SaaS business- and money management. Correct. And money management. Yeah. So you've got uh, a service, uh, you've got a SaaS business model plus an asset and management uh, yeah. model as well. You're the capital side, you've got lending fees, and your original payments is essentially transaction fees. That's the business model here. Give us a sense for how the... Uh, the business model has changed. And also, I guess, how that has changed your gross margin profile because transaction fees, I presume, would be very flat in nature. But as you go towards lending and software as a service, that's probably expanded over time. Yeah, sure. Uh, So even today, uh, our payments business is the largest business. Uh, Still, capital and new banking are kind of fast-growing businesses. Uh, Close to almost 70-75% comes from payments uh, overall, uh, our revenue profile. Uh, Overall transaction volume that we do on our payments business is around $120 billion annually. Uh, and on our new banking and capital business across, like we have a decent product penetration within, within, within like the almost 10 million merchants that we have. Uh, definitely revenue profile is slowly shifting more and more towards the capital and X business, given these are smaller businesses and they're growing faster than the payments business. And when we talk about uh, in terms of uh, revenue size here, um, can you give us a sense for uh, Razorpay's either revenue generation or growth rate over the last uh, nine years, whether uh, whichever you can uh, elaborate further? No, sure. So uh, Razorpay has been growing almost 100% uh, CAGR over the last few years. Uh, I think in this last one year overall, now given our overall payments business have scaled significantly, 
the growth rate of payments business is now lesser than 100%. Uh, but Accent Capital continues to kind of grow at a very, very fast pace. So as a company, still we have kept our growth momentum going. And that's the reason why to kind of, uh, it, it makes a lot of business sense. You kind of keep investing into new businesses because they drive a lot of fast growth because your existing business kind of becomes, uh, at some point kind of stops growing to that rate because you already have a majority of the market share. Large base effect, right? At some Correct. point, the bigger business will grow smaller, but the quantum is still much Correct. larger. Uh, do you expect the other two verticals to match the revenue size, a revenue contribution uh, from payments in time? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, it can it will be similar. It can be even higher than the payments because the opportunity that we see in overall neo banking, SaaS, and capital business can eventually be much much higher. But yeah, again, again, it's, it's a little bit of a, how markets play out and how strategy play out. Yeah, I mean, right now it's still a look ahead and Correct. expectations as opposed to actual outcomes at this point. Uh, Rahul, we have to jump into a few more messages. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what's going to drive growth going forward as well as whether Razorpay is looking to raise more funds and the timeline, of course, to an IPO, what you can share sure. on that front. Folks, I've been speaking to Rahul Kotari, Chief Business Officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You've been listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Benchmark for managers. BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and this morning I've been speaking with Rahul Kotari, Chief Business Officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. Uh, Rahul, earlier you gave us a sense for the growth rate. Uh, Razorpay has been growing at 100% growth rate, although payments has been slowing down. Your two new verticals, which are capital and neobanking, which are smaller, are growing at a much faster rate. Uh, going forward, um, what do you see driving growth? Is it, I mean, M&A is obviously still something in your toolkit here. But aside that, um, what else is going to be driving growth? Sure. So uh, we have been investing quite a lot in uh, some of the new products. Uh, say it's a payroll or some of the new acquisitions like uh, within payments, uh, offline payments, easy tap, which we acquired, or the latest uh, on the loyalty stack side, we had another company which we acquired. A lot of these new businesses and products, uh, either because they're very disruptive in nature or because right now those businesses are very small in size in terms of overall market share. That's where I see a lot of significant, like, you know, much more than 100% growth coming year, and year over year. So that's one of the focus areas which we are looking at how to kind of continue growth momentum in India. Uh, also, in other geographies, if you look at, like, for example, Kerlik in Malaysia, given the stage we are, this, this, this will also drive a lot of growth for payments business outside India as well. So, so these are the major two levers of the growth. And, and as I said, uh, m and is a part of the strategy for having the right kind of the product synergies or right kind of kind of go-to-market strategy. Uh, it's not a lever for growth as such, but definitely, like, you know, if it drives growth, uh, it, it would be an added bonus. Now, um, given that, you know, the climate, funding climate has changed quite significantly, uh, the growth at all cost model isn't as palatable yeah. as it used to be. Yeah. Uh, you have to have some sense of profitability or at least a pathway towards it. Raul, what can you tell us about Razorpay's path to profitability? Yeah. So our largest business payments in India uh, is uh, very, very close to profitability. 
uh, our other two businesses and of course the businesses outside India are still into the investment mood uh, which are not profitable yet but overall as a company is next couple of years what will look as being profitable and are you looking at because there, there seems to be from moving away from back end to more f- customer facing uh, verticals businesses uh, are you going to be looking to become more noticeable to the end user in long term as you look to expand your products no we are not uh, very proactively looking at being uh, noticeable to front like you know end front consumer end. not mm-hmm. a b2c company uh, but there are a few products which because it kind of fits very well with our b2b portfolio kind of becomes the consumer focus like mm-hmm. for example in our payments we provide a feature called magic checkout uh, on this say when rahul or roshan go and uh, buy something uh, they create their own container or account which they can be they can use for doing transactions on multiple websites multiple merchants so it becomes kind of account for rahul or roshan and therefore becomes a consumer kind of side of thing but but and therefore we do it if it synergies really well with our b2b business but not looking at practically going to b2c now The company has raised a total of 740-ish million dollars since starting back in 2014. Half of that came in December 2021, the Series F funding. Uh, as you move, as you head towards the IPO stage here, um, are you going to be looking to raise more funds to take you there? Because the market right now to IPO is, let's just say, a little soft at this point. Yeah. So right now we are very well capitalized. Uh, also. given our primary payments business very close to profitability even the burn that we have is kind of really low uh, and therefore as of now we are not looking at raising any funds if any big amna opportunity which makes sense for the business to do if it's required then probably we might look for it but as of now no plans nothing nothing for foreseeable future so it's not so much a always be raising mentality but a needs based raising so if you exactly. see a target acquisition that you need to raise funds for go back to the cap table and see whether you can raise money for that yeah yeah if if it's required then probably we would do it yeah. uh at 7.5 billion dollars in valuation the likelihood here is an ipo will be the likely exit situation yeah. usually between 7 and 10 years is the time to exit uh, average timeline to exit although companies have been staying uh, private for longer uh, raul tell us a little bit about the ballpark timeline towards ipo yeah so so uh, very honestly roshan if we really want to do an ipo we can do it like now as such right yeah. like if we because because in payments we are very close to profitability and uh, if we kind of stop focusing in investing a lot on our new businesses it kind of becomes very easy uh, but the way we are thinking about it our payments business is close to profitability we want to scale our accent capital business bring them profitable we make sure that synergies between all these three businesses ax capital payments and also some of our global businesses kind of scale up and that's where the real synergies for our customers and also synergies synergies for in some sense for investors will really play out and to really make sure that we really get the right value when we do an ipo it might take about almost 2 years to kind of really hit that milestone and that a uh, couple of years we might look at the ipo um what signals uh, is uh, are you guys at resape watching in the market because that's that's the thing right we we need to see how people are going to be doing as they go in ipo how the market takes it because this risk off attitude is not um ideal for tech companies to go in public especially if you haven't breached that profitability element just yet what signals uh, are, are you and the team watching over at respect so, so there are two or three things and i think it is roshan not not really to do with the current current market there are some of the very basics right uh, one is there has to be good profitability 
not just profitable, good profitability before you start going looking for the IPO. The second is you should have fairly diversified revenue stream to make your revenue very, very predictable. Public markets beat you really hard if your revenues are not predictable. They can still live with low growth, but not with non-predictable growth. So I think having your business diversified enough and having strong control on your product and your matrix to make sure your right revenue growth is the second most important uh, thing that we'd look at. So with that in mind then, how are you balancing that that need for growth given that you are a tech startup versus that uh, you need some path to profitability. How are you balancing this equation? Yeah, so so it's it's more like uh, when we are growing really fast earlier, the entire focus was grow at any cost. And therefore, we did not have probably the right kind of OKRs. We are already OKR-driven company, right? Kind of OKRs to start focusing on the cost as well. Uh, increasingly, over the last one year, we have OKR both on growth and on the cost as well. And business leaders can, whenever they are looking at the overall outcome, uh, it's more about the growth that you got at what cost? I think I think it's just first about just letting the business leaders have the right kind of OKRs to hit profitability, have the focus on cost is the first step. And then having the right controls, checks and balances to make sure any new investment that you are doing, uh, it is very well thought through from a ROI perspective of the investment and not just as from a growth perspective. Uh, Raul, uh, when you say OKR, what do you mean by that? Oh, OKR is your, uh, in some sense, the targets that you give to the uh, uh, objectives so and like KPIs, for yeah. example. Exactly, like KPIs. Uh, right, right. Um, and as we come to an end of this conversation, uh, Rahul, um, you've got this balance that you need to keep in mind. Um, what are the key levers, I guess? Because the key part, I guess, in that burn as companies look to grow is that customer acquisition or in your case, yep. maybe merchant acquisition costing, uh, which is important for growth as well. How are you, I guess, is that a lever that Razorpay can adjust or pull in order to, I guess, reach that profitability? Uh, customer acquisition cost, yes. Uh, at the same time, a lot of cost optimizations that we can do either from like the overall infrastructure cost perspective, overall per transaction processing cost perspective, how do you structure your team and kind of make them faster and leaner, mm. whether you want to have talent in a in a city where the talent is much more expensive than a city where it is cheaper. So so some of those, there are multiple levers around it. Uh, I think I think the best way is to kind of have each of the business leader have a very clear KPI on cost. And a lot of those people then come up with the right kind of ways to ensure the cost cost the, the cost is kept in control. Rahul, on that note, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Roshan. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. And thank you, Malaysia. Wishing you a safe flight back over to India. Um, folks, I've been speaking with Rahul Kotari. He's the Chief Business Officer of India-based fintech unicorn Razorpay. I'm Roshan Kunison, and you've been listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.